Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host, also the founder of The Giving Church. You can find more about our organization by going to thegivingchurch.com. When I started The Giving Leader just six, seven weeks ago, and we've been blessed to have thousands of you download the episodes, I wanted to highlight leaders I've worked with around the country that demonstrate generosity in everything that they do, that they just lead by example. My guest today falls in that category. He's a good friend. I've known him for a long time. Greg Nettle built a a great, thriving church, a River Tree Christian Church in the Akron-Canton area over a number of years, and then moved over to lead the Stadia organization, an international church planting group that has literally planted hundreds of churches around the globe and works with Compassion International. Greg is generous in everything that he does, in his leadership and in his friendship, and I am blessed to have him as my guest today. All right, I am excited for today's interview. You're listening to The Giving Leader Podcast. I'm Phil Ling. I'm the host. I'm also the founder of The Giving Church Consulting Group, which is uh, kind of the host of this whole thing. You can go to thegivingchurch.com and find our past episodes, links to those. We've been blessed in the last six weeks, 3,000 leaders downloading our podcast, so thank you very much. Calling on a good friend that I've known for a long, long time since I used to have hair. I mean, I've known Greg for a long time. Greg Nettle lives in Northeast Ohio. He's one of those weird pastor dudes that has, I don't think he's ever lived out, outside the same zip code. He was, he was raised there. He led and planted a great church there. Uh, River Tree Christian Church was there for years, uh, several thousand by the time he walked away to take over as president of Stadia, an international church planting organization. And he has been uh, nice enough to be my guest today. So, Greg, thanks. Hey, Phil, it's so good to be with you again, man. I mean, you know I'm a raving fan of everything you do. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, you know, uh, we, we were friends long before um, kind of we partnered in ministry together, kind of grew up in, in, in church planting and, and all that comes with that. But then also, you know, you and I, sir, you came in uh, with the Ling Group. And, and helped us so much at River Tree um, over the years. And, you know, we're just invaluable to us as we examined our finances and how we could create generosity at, at River Tree. But then also as you personally coached me for a year as well um, in several areas. And then beyond that, it's Stadia being involved with us and um, in resource development and organizational structure. So, man, I'm, I'm forever grateful to you and your ministries. And sir. so it's a delight for me to be on the podcast with you. Ah, thanks for doing it. I, I do appreciate it because yeah, I just got off a plane last night from Colorado, and I know that uh, you, whenever we're together, we compare how many segments and where all we've been because you you are like the James Brown to travel to. Um, so I, I want to, before we jump into Stadia, Stadia does cool stuff. I've been blessed to be on trips with you to Ecuador and Bolivia and see what's happening there and with your partnership, Church Planting with Compassion International, which is an amazing story. But I want to back up. When you were at River Tree, you're growing and leading this large church, and uh, some trigger is is pushed, and you and the church, through your leadership, start getting a real heart for uh, adoption, foster care, all that kind of stuff, and uh, with some crazy numbers that, that not just what happened in your own household, but a lot of households around the Northeast Ohio. So 
unpack that a little bit. Tell me about that, how that happens. Let me back up even before that, Phil, just to get that zip code comment of my life uh, off the record. Um, <laughs> so before I went to Rivertree, my first you know, big ministry assignment from God was I went to Dublin, Ireland and planted a church. So I forgot. It, I uh, forgot. Yeah, no, I, it wasn't. I, did, I, I was over there and planted a church. And then and then um, was called to this little, you know, remote area of Northeast Ohio, um, which ultimately would become Rivertree and what we called the Rivertree Christian Church Movement. And, you know, I've confessed to this and repented enough times that I'm not going to do it anymore. But when I was, you know, first in the church there, you know, my big deal was how do we grow this church to be a mega church? And I had a huge evangelistic passion, so it wasn't all impure. But there was some some stuff about building my own kingdom, which I, you know, I'm, I hate now as I look back on it. Um, but at the time, you know, I valued children, but the reason I valued children and said we have to have an excellent children's ministry was to reach their families. Children's, children were a means to an end to me. And um, again, so many things to repent of from those early days, but we're young and we make, you know, we grow. Um, but along the way, um, Compassion International, you know, an international child sponsorship organization approached Rivertree and, 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 and they wanted to come in and do a sponsorship weekend. And for years I said no. And I had good reason. We were carrying about $10 million in debt on our new building. And I thought, man, if I have them come in, they're going to take money from our church. This is going to be disastrous. You know, so I was being financially responsible. Well, our executive pastor, Gary Dolan, whom you know, and, uh, uh, gave me Wes Stafford's book, uh, Too Small to Ignore, Must Read for Every Leader. But um, Wes Stafford was the president and CEO of Compassion for years. Jimmy Mayato is the, the CEO today. So I read Wes's book that Gary gave me. I finished it on Thanksgiving night. I'll never forget this. And I mean, God just wrecked my heart. And I thought, man, how could I miss the value of children for so long? Um, and at a really deep guttural level, I, I, God just had me go back through scripture and look at the value of children, their inherent value and his heart for them and the trajectory of God lifting up that value. So Phil, um, I, I asked Gary, I said, Gary, would you call Compassion International? I said, as I, as I'm praying tonight, I think I'm supposed to meet with Wes Stafford. And, and, and Gary said, well, what, what do you want to meet with him for? You've been telling him no for years. <laughs> and, and I said, I don't know. I just, God's just telling me to meet with West Stafford. So Gary, Gary kind of hesitantly called out to compassion. And of course they asked, well, what does Greg want to meet with Wes about? And Gary said, <laughs> he doesn't know. So none of this is a great setup, right? Yeah. Um, but, but Wes so graciously agreed to meet with me. So I flew out to Colorado Springs to their headquarters, spent two hours over lunch and talking with West Stafford. And at the end of our time together, um, I said, we prayed together, and at the end of our prayer time, I said to Wes, Wes, I know this is subjective, so feel free to say no or whatever you need to say, but while I was praying, I sensed God saying, I'm supposed to ask you to mentor me. And Wes said, you're not going to believe this, Greg, but while we were praying, I sensed God saying, I'm supposed to pour my heart into this young man. And so that began a journey over the next several years um, where I would fly out to Colorado Springs once a month, spend a day with Wes. That turned into me traveling around the world with Wes and, um, and God's renovation of my heart, if you will, over the value of children. 
And so that began with Julie and I sponsoring children through Compassion International and opening um, River Tree's doors to Compassion International. And today, um, River Tree sponsors more than 3,000 children with Compassion wow. International. So it's wow. been an incredible partnership. And you know what's really fun for me, Phil, is during that time, over the next my next 10 year run there at River Tree, not only did we not, you know, miss a building payment or were ever late on a single bill, but we began giving more than $2 million away outside of our building into the community and around the world. When we started being generous, um, God opened the floodgates of financial resources to entrust to River Tree, you know, which is, a, as you know, is a biblical principle. He's looking for churches whom he can entrust with resources um, to care about kids and church planting and the lost, everything that his church is supposed to care about. Well, for Julie and I, as we sponsored children through compassion around the world, um, got to go meet those kids, just continued to wreck us. We started to look at the foster care system in Ohio. And, um, you know, the foster care system across the country is a mess. It, I love what it does, but um, it's a bit of a mess. But the truth is that if just one person or one family would adopt a child out of foster care, um, the foster care system would empty. But we started asking the question, what if we don't foster these kids, then who's going to? And so Julie and I, because we didn't have enough on our plate, you know, leading a mega church and Julie leading our worship program at all the campuses and all that, we became foster parents. And it was one of the best things we ever did for us personally or for our family. Um, you know, I hope by God's grace, those children have yeah. been blessed. Um, and then as a result, lots more families in Rivertree began to get involved in foster care. Well, that leads to the next conversation and question you have to ask, and that goes back to the adoption question. Um, if we don't adopt these kids, then who's going to? And so 11 years ago, we adopted our beautiful little African-American son, Elijah John, um, from Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, he's 11 years old today and just the one of the deep joys of our life. He's an amazing young man who I tell blatantly that I'm praying he'll grow up and be a preacher. So with a name like Elijah John, you know, he's, <laughs> he's done. So, so then Phil, what, what happened out of that was more than 200 families at River Tree adopted. Um, and so it's been this incredible journey that I never expected and, um, and what God's done through it. And we're the ones who have been blessed, you know, and I think by God's grace, again, those children have been blessed. But, but let me come back just to, to just a couple of things. Um, our prison system in the United States is arguably the worst incarceration system in the world. It's an enormous problem for the United States. And what most people don't know is the Wall Street Journal just over a year ago released a stat that said 80% of our prison population, 80% has spent time in our foster care system. Wow. Yeah. And so if you go back to this and think about, okay, well, how do you how do you transform communities? How do you transform the country and ultimately the world? Well, if we as Christians um, would actually do what I believe the Bible says in valuing children, sponsor children, get foster care kids in our homes and ultimately adopt those children, that takes away the incarceration problem in our country, right? 
I, I again, I, I value our government, but the government is not the answer to the world's problems. I value our military, but the military is not the answer to our world's problems. I value the education system, but the education system is not the answer to our world's problems. It's Jesus being lived out through Christians in the local church. It's that's how we transform the world, and in one of those ways is by valuing valuing children. So, so I'll shut up there because I've been rambling for quite a while. No, it, it's great. First of all, I. I I knew the story, but I had forgotten pieces. And uh, I remember the the West story, uh, which is it's amazing in its own right. Everybody, we talk a lot about in leadership, in mentoring, and um, everybody needs somebody to listen to and then somebody to lead. And the ability to do that as a guide's mega church, you know, you and I both deal with a lot of guys like that and gals, and sometimes the, the head's as big as the room. And so when you can come and subject yourself and say, hey, there's somebody I got to listen to and somebody's going to tell me something that's uncomfortable. One of the things that we, when we launched the podcast called The Giving Leader is I've never re- met a great leader that was not a generous leader. And, and, and what you're describing is a, a, a form of generosity that's a lot more expensive than writing checks. It, it's, you know, opening up your home, bringing kids in, all that kind of stuff. So I got to ask you. Before you jump to other stuff, when you're do- when you're taking this kind of an active role, both individually, you're leading, you're you're talking about because I know you, so you're you're talking about it. Others in the church are mirroring it and doing that as well. Is there ever any pushback? Is there ever anybody in leadership at church that says, you know, maybe you're on this horse a little too much? And um, so I think it, you know, there are a couple of things. One, I, I, one of my personal leadership philosophies is never ask anyone to go someplace that you're not willing to lead. Um, and so I never said, Hey, you all should become foster parents or you all should sponsor kids or you all should adopt without being willing to go there myself. So when you're willing to go your, there yourself, that takes a lot of the opposition, uh, away to start with. Um, and then I think, you know, you have to be honest with people and say, some of you, foster care is not going to be for you. Some of you, adoption is not going to be for you. I guess what I would ask, though, is, is why not? And to have everybody at least wrestle with that question. And so that takes away, you know, again, some of the opposition. You're saying, okay, if you have a valid answer to say, no, this isn't for me. Um, right. you know, Julie, my wife, has talked about us adopting again. And I'm like, my gosh, Julie, I'm... We're not going to have an empty nest as it is. I, you know, I <laughs> now is, um, you know, with our travel schedule, Phil, as right. we talked about earlier, it's just not feasible now for for us to do that. Um, you know, I had people say, you know, come up and say, well, gosh, you know, the adoption system, you know, they're letting gays adopt and and all this stuff, and you know, we, and I'm, and my response is always, you know, well, have you adopted? And if you haven't adopted, <laughs> then shut up about it. You know, you don't. Um, and I really believe that if, if we as Christians are going to say this and this and this shouldn't happen, then we need to make sure we're willing to do this, this and this. And so when, you know, I think it really is saying, OK, are we going to live out the Christian life? And um, and when you do that and you're willing to take those steps and make those sacrifices, but also to receive those blessings, then the opposition tends to go away. I I, I agree completely. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on the same soapbox. Uh, you can't expect people to go where you haven't gone. Uh, so one of the thing, one of the things I really wanted to hit on today and talk about for our folks that are listening and downloading 
is they probably, especially if they're church planters, a lot of our, our guys and gals listening are church planters, um, know of Greg, Greg leads Stadia. And I'm laying the foundation that, well, when Greg was building River Tree, a lot of the passion for children, that seed was already there. So when Stadia comes along and says, hey, you know what? You, you love church planting and you'd be great. You'd really help us in, in leading this. It, I'm trying to put together the numbers. I'm trying to remember, but I don't think the compassion conversation had happened yet. So that's, so you, you embrace the change to go steady and I, and you rode both horses for a little while. Um, but, but embrace to go to that change. How does the compassion conversation up? Cause now you're very, very linked. I mean, I've been with you on those trips. Let's go back to the whole leadership idea, Phil. So, and the whole church planting idea as leaders, right? So I think as leaders, we have to come to a point where we're not about building our own kingdom, but rather we're about building God's kingdom. And so right around the same time that God was doing this work in, in my heart about the value of children, he was also wrecking me about how can you leverage out your life and influence and giftedness to build God's kingdom and not Greg Nettles. And and again, these are things we have to wrestle through at a deep soul level. And so for me, that led into the world of church planting. And, you know, God gave us this incredible vision to plant churches throughout the state of Ohio. And um, our, our vision was to make it hard to go to hell in Ohio. And, you know, Michigan could, could go to hell for all we could. But, um, you know, Ohio, <laughs> that's, that, we were, that's the state up north. That's not. Yeah. That's not, so. You know. So, but Ohio, we were concerned about. And so over the next years, you know, we were able to gather pastors from across the, and leaders from across the state and plant 38 churches together. And so in that whole time, God's raising up this value of children, but he's also raising up this value of church planting. And that, you know, regardless of how big River Tree would ever get, I guarantee you it will never um, be as, as impactful as those 38 churches that were planted, you know, over the next generation. So Stadia is working alongside of us at Rivertree at that time, providing systems and processes. And that's how I got involved with Stadia. And so then Stadia approaches me to become their next president. And so for two years, I was president of Stadia, as well as the senior pastor of Rivertree until life became absolutely unmanageable, as, as you know. And, um, but during that time, we started asking the question, okay, um, how can we partner with Compassion. Compassion International, one of the reasons we partnered with them at Rivertree was because Compassion only works through the local church, period. That's one of the things I love about them. Well, one of the greatest challenges for Compassion because of that is because is that the greatest areas and fastest growing areas of poverty around the world, there are no local churches. So we started having these conversations about, okay, what would it look like to um, plant churches in those areas. If Stadia went in and planted the churches, and from day one, 200 children would be sponsored in those churches from Compassion International. And there were lots of people involved in this. Brent Polk and Tom Jones were so instrumental in, in making this happen, um, West Stafford. But at the end of the day, what's happened, we experimented seven, six years, seven years ago with five church of plants like that in Ecuador. And um, today, I believe at the end of this year, we're right around 180 church plants now in seven countries in South America with, with Compassion International, and more than 50,000 children have been sponsored as a result of those church plants. So it became this exponential 
growth that happened. And you've been down on trips with me. I, I don't even have to sell this stuff. If you go down, um, you can plant a church. It's $87,000, which I know sounds like a lot of money. But man, people, you know, churches can do it. Small groups do it. I've climbed mountains and raised money that you've helped sponsor me and raised money by the foot to plant churches down there. There's all kinds of creative ways. And then these kids get sponsored. And I'm telling you, they literally are transforming those countries. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been a lot of places, done a lot of things, been blessed to, to see some, some dynamic works. The first trip I made with you when we went to Ecuador and were able to see the results because we got to see a church that had already been planted on earlier. And to watch the 200 kids that are sponsored, the I can't remember what they call it, but it's like the, the ministry for the gals that are pregnant. So through that whole prenatal process, there's a little a component of that that goes into it, too. So immediately when this church springs up, which is often one of the only nice facilities, as far as you can see, you and I have been in in shacks with cardboard walls and, and you know, the water runs through it when it's raining. And, and it is, this is really, really tough stuff. And so you go find these little block churches or whatever that they that they put up uh, it. But what impressed me. I like the whole local church stuff. So like when I did Billy Graham stuff and worked with Franklin and they were doing Operation Christmas Child, all the stuff's collected through local churches. All the stuff is delivered through local churches. So I like that that connection, that continuity. But with compassion in, in stating your plans is walking into their office and seeing the process of letters written by kids back to their sponsors and sponsors writing letters to the kids. That's amazing to watch that process work. Yeah. So, you know, it's the, the one of the most meaningful stories for me is um, uh, my daughter has been down on trips. My daughter's 20 now, but she went down on a trip with me when she was 11 years old for the first time. And she's been several times now, but she sponsors a couple of children through Compassion International. Um, but one of the little girls that, that she sponsored um, uh, is named Kizel. And um, I had the privilege of being part of a church plant down in Bolivia and got to visit that church plant. And that's where Kizel was sponsored. And Kizel, I was looking at the, the, her records in the school and in the church, and there was a little heart sticker behind, beside her name on June 11th of, of that previous year. And I said, what's that heart sticker? And, and the, the program director said, oh, that's when Kizel gave her life to Jesus. Wow. And, and you know, and I just thought, here's a little girl in, in Northern Ohio that sponsors this little girl, Kizel, and this church plant happens, and Kazelle's entire eternity has been changed. But I mean, how do you think that affected my daughter Tabitha as well for all of eternity? Um, it draws her to Jesus. And then Tabitha decides that she's with eight other students between the ages of nine and 17 is going to plant a church in Ecuador. And so these eight students raise $87,000 in six weeks, and they plant a church in Ecuador that's <laughs> now two years old where 200 children are sponsored. So, you know, do you see how it changes all of us? Um, it, it's just an amazing thing when we start valuing children and planting churches together. And so, Phil, what that's done, and I'm so excited at Stadia, it's informed how we plant churches now, not just in South America with compassion, but all around the world, and especially in the United States. So Stadia, you know, we'll plant 226 new churches this year alone. And 68 of those are in the United States, and every one of those United States churches is required to have a strategic, intentional plan for how they'll care for children in, in, in their church, in their community, and around the world from day one. 
And what we're watching is our church plants value children at that level. They're exploding with growth and they're more rapidly multiplying. Um, because when those churches go out and they become the tutors and mentors in their local school system, um, that gives them credibility in the community. When they sponsor children through compassion, um, that teaches their church generosity from day one. You know, so it's it's this magical thing. It should, it's not magical. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's blessing as we care about those he cares about. And I was, I was just going to go there because I wanted to talk about North American church plants. Um, it was yesterday with a, uh, a relatively new church in Colorado, uh, you know, all over the country. A lot of the folks that I work with, just like you, are, are relatively new in church plants. And trends change to how they do things change, missional, attractional, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but I was wondering how your years working with compassion in these other countries that are so kid focused, how that impacts what you do now in North America. And the, even the, even the amount of money that it costs to plant a church in North America, is that affected? Do you look at it differently, staffing differently? Yeah, so lots of things are changing rapidly, Phil. So I said I've been blessed to be riding this wave in the United States of an awareness of church planting. And that's one of the reasons Stadia is certainly growing so rapidly. But I think it's just God's blessing, too, because God loves lost people and he loves children. So you combine the two and you see what God does. But, you know, some of the things that, that I've watched is, you know, for us to plant a church, for instance, in Cleveland, Ohio, so near my hometown, 45 minutes away, the price tag is going to be somewhere probably around $400,000 for a traditional church plant. Um, last year, we planted a church in the Silicon Valley and out in the Bay Area, um, wealthiest you know area in the world these days, uh, $1.5 million price tag to plant that church. Well, those are important church plants, and we'll keep doing that. But that's not scalable. That's that's not, you know, we need to keep doing that. But how do we drive the price point down? So one of the things that I love we're doing is we do urban church plants, um, which are bivocational. And those are $15,000 to plant a church, right? And so we're continuing to kind of research and develop, you know, the underground church movement and the micro church. We're involved in research and development with that heavily. So I don't think, I think for the United States, it's looking at all kinds of different models for the future. Um, I'm really excited about some blue sky things I've got coming up this fall with leaders from across the country. We, I've got a two-day blue sky thing about digital church planning. You know, nobody's doing that right now. I'm not talking about having an online church campus. I'm talking about digital church planting. Um, is it right? Is it okay? Can it be done? What tech's available? How would it work throughout the United States, around the world? Here's what I know. I know my son, who's 11, when he gets on the Xbox, he is in community with the other people he's playing his Xbox with. He's talking with them, their friends, da, da, da. I heard at a wedding recently, the best man and the groom had met online gaming, and they were from different states and became best friends. And so I guess we're just asking those questions. What does church planting in the future look like, and what's a biblical? model for that. 58% of the churches in the United States are between 100 and 500 in size right now, but they're the most least likely to reproduce, to multiply. So we have a blue sky event coming up going, how do we, um, oh my gosh, how do we give them the ability and give them the excitement to get involved in multiplication? And we believe we can do that. But, but what if we could actually get this kind of the unsung heroes, you know, the 58% of churches that are out there slogging away 
Um, how do we get them to realize they're the ones that'll transform this country for Jesus? Because they're the vast majority of churches. So I think asking a lot of those really hard questions, Phil, um, is what kind of drives Stadia and says, hey, let's, let's look at a lot of different examples now of church planting. I, what's funny is that you're talking about the gaming. I was speaking at a church in Northern Virginia not too long ago, and uh, the guy that was in charge of the sound and everything, uh, I've, I've spoken there before, so I've met him before, a sharp young kid. And he, he has an online gaming group that's up to like 200 people that he has formed into like the, a Bible study community. And they're not all believers. Uh, and now they're actually going on a trip out, out of the country. They're going like a group of, from that group that's online is actually physically getting together and going to do something. And he was peppering me with questions. I'm like, dude, I don't know anybody else doing what you're doing. I mean, that is a very, very cool, unusual, who knows, you know, it's not just putting a, a camera in front of your face and having your services broadcast so people can watch online. That's okay. But this is a, a completely different piece. So I, I, that's, don't know how it works, but I, I think that is amazing. I was going to ask no, you. No, I just think, I think as leaders, we have to be asking those questions. Let's keep going back to your you know, generous leadership is one of the things is how do we get together with other people and brainstorm, give our ideas and creativity <laughs> away to, to come up with new ways to spread the gospel and, and to move the kingdom forward. Let, let me do this for a run out of time. Um, you and I have been doing this a long time, been around church planting uh, for decades. And we're blessed to be around young guys. We used to be the young guys, and now we get, we'd see the young guys. And as you're talking to those folks that are planting or getting ready to plant, what are some of the, the challenges they gonna, they're going to deal with that we didn't deal with? So I, one of the easy ones for me is that I'm so glad I did not plant in social media time. I, I, Twitter would have destroyed me. <laughs> so, so there's what I would say is there's challenges and there's a flip side to many of them, as you know, in church planning that are opportunities. And I think we always have to look at that in leadership, right? Um, as leaders, challenges are always and often, most often our greatest opportunities as well, if we get through the white water of, of navigating them well. And so things like social media. Um, is it a challenge? Yeah. I mean, I meet with young church planters and they're going, so-and-so left my church. They were with me from the beginning and they just ripped us apart in the community on social media. And I'm like, man, I'm so glad that in my early days, I didn't have to deal with that. On the flip side, where we spent huge budgets on marketing, direct mail, all that stuff, uh, very few of our church plants do that anymore. They, it's all via social media and it's extremely if not more so, more effective than what all the direct mails were. So, so you know, is it a challenge? Yes. Is it an opportunity? Yes. You know, I think theologically, Phil, the um, the whole LGBTQ issue. I, you know, I didn't have to deal with that when I was a young church planter. Um, now we deal with it virtually in every church plant. Now, what I would do for everyone is reframe that and say, okay, this is a huge challenge. But how, how can it be an opportunity for us to learn how to love people better and to serve people better and to minister better and, and look at it as an opportunity? How do we be Jesus to every single person on this earth that God deeply and, and desperately loves? Um, I, I think there are financial challenges now. Um, you know, the, the average person looks in the United States and says, man, there's a church plant on every corner. Why do we need a new, another church? Well, okay, so that's a challenge. The opportunity is to actually let people know that only, you know, about 18% of the people in the United States are actively involved in any local church expression. 
And so that's the conversation and um, that we need to be planting about 8,500 churches a year right now in the United States alone, just to keep pace with population growth. And by wow. the way, we're only planting about 3,500 a year right now everywhere in the United States, all church, you know, so we're way behind the curve. So I, I think there are challenges, there are opportunities, but, you know, that's one of the things that at Stadia, and, and I'm not just blowing, you know, Stadia's horn here. That's what we're committed to is there were so many things I didn't have and you didn't have when you were planting the churches that you can have today. Um, how do How do you make the most of social media? You know, how do you determine, my gosh, Phil, do you know that using big data now, um, we can actually go into a community. Um, we can go into Nashville. You know, I know you, you have a heart for Nashville. We can get big data on Nashville. Before we could tell you, here's how many unchurched people are in that area, and here's the age group, and here's how many births next year. We could get all that stuff. Now we can get, we can know six months in advance of that church opening, there is going to be an uptick for some reason, to opiate addiction in Nashville in April of next year. Big data will tell us that. Um, big data will say, um, oh, by the way, there's going to be an uptick in suicide in Nashville in, in the teenage years next September. We have it that precise. And so what if we could take that with our church planners and say, we have this data to give you now. And so when you go in, you can launch with a series on freedom in Jesus and how to combat addiction. Or you can go in with a, here's a healthy parenting series in the midst of that uptick in suicide and depression. Um, all that's available to us now, Phil. So, so we can look at the internet and big data and go, man, it's evil. I think all of that is neutral and that we need to capture it for Christ and use it to our advantage in expanding the kingdom. Fantastic. I agree completely. I was thinking, uh, you remember years ago, about the time that you and I were both getting going, uh, Stedman was up in Northern California and he would take his card table and sit in front of Kmart. And he had a little sign like, hey, having trouble with your teenage children? And he would sign up, you know, people to, to come to that class. And that's how he launched his church. So think of that with technology. I, that just, that is amazing. It's the same thing, except we're getting millions of data points on people um, that, that can tell us what their concerns in three months are going to be. It's just the weirdest thing. <laughs> You're a good man. I appreciate it. Love your friendship. Love what you're doing. Greg Nettle, president of Stadia, what they're doing with Compassion International around the world and what they're doing in the United States and making a difference. And I really, I know you're a busy dude and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Phil. It's a joy. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host and also the founder of The Giving Church. Make sure you go to our website, thegivingchurch.com. We've got resources there, including a, a free book you can download about the changing giving patterns in America. Thank you to my guest, Greg Nettle, for being with me from Stadia. You can check them out at their stadiachurchplanting.org. And thanks for listening.